1: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out the toolbox at the slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success. So make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com, or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H. at The Art of Charm, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Alex Coots, co-founder and CEO of IndiGov, making government sexy. Apparently there's an app for that. We're gonna be talking about the art of negotiation. We're gonna talk about never making the first offer and why. How to pick the right amounts for counters and offers. We're really talking about salary negotiation, but a lot of this overlaps into like cars and things like that. This guy's negotiated salary three and a half times a year over the last few years. Unbelievable. And he ended up with double the amount he started with at his last job after two years. It's just amazing. And uh, we're going to talk about what tools you have available to you and when to use them in negotiation. Should it be email, phone, or in person? What makes sense and when? strategic silence, how to use the walkaway, and building relationships after you shake hands. This is a really, really good, practical, tip-filled episode of the show, and so I hope you guys enjoy it. I think we might even make it a toolbox, so I hope you guys dig it. Glad that you were able to come by. I think it's really cool. And also, first of all, we met via a connection, and you are an expert or at least going to give us some dish on something that a lot of people ask me, which is how to negotiate a salary for real and not like the whole firm handshake and good eye contact and tell them that you've done research and the market price is this, but you feel like you should be paid this because, you know, blah, 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 the the, the something technique or whatever, you know, you've got like real legit advice. But first, it might behoove us to spend some time telling people why they should actually listen to you. Have you spent a career navigating the wild seas of technology startups?
2: (laughs) Yeah, kind of. So I I actually started off in business development and my job was to actually negotiate uh, for a living. I negotiated contracts for a startup out of DC uh, and then negotiated a move out to California with that company. And in the first two years I worked there, I negotiated my salary seven times.
1: The first two years, seven times. So 3.5 times a year. Yeah, pretty much. So basically once a quarter, you were like, by the way, I want more money.
2: Yeah, pretty every 15 minutes or so, it would just kind of come up in my mind. They must have
1: just been like,
2: dude, knock it off. I certainly didn't make it easy, but, you know, you got the leverage wins that you have into continually upping your salary, so. Yeah, wow, that's
1: impressive. I mean, you know, most people do that zero times in their whole life, probably. Yeah. They just wait for the salary increase to come based on the promotion that they just happen to get. For when the position's open, and you just walked into your boss's office like every time anything good happened, and you were like, "Hey, by the way, I need a new
2: motorcycle, and you're going to pay for it." Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. I, I always kind of edited out the word motorcycle. You know, is I need I need more motivation to do my job now. Right. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Basically, you're
1: doing UI design, product management, stuff like that. But this is startup land. You can go to work in jeans. You can go to work in t-shirts. I mean, is this stuff going to apply to other companies? If I've worked for Microsoft, am I going to be able to walk into my boss's office and use this stuff? Or or is this just startup stuff only?
2: No, it's it's applicable for every situation and every type of company. Because at the end of the day, you're across the table from the same individual who wants that negotiation to end badly. Because they're absolutely terrified of negotiating as well. So it's not specific to startups. I've actually helped friends negotiate job offers for large companies as well. Uh, small private companies, startups, all kinds.
1: Part of the leverage is you know that your boss is horribly just uncomfortable with the whole conversation, the whole compensation package thing is awkward and he just wants it to
2: end. Exactly. Yeah. It's the other side of the table is a perfect reflection of how you feel typically. And people don't normally realize that. But the person on the other side of the table is terrified of insulting you. They're terrified of losing you, terrified of losing the negotiation and losing face to somebody else. So you can leverage that if you know it.
1: Yeah, I can see that that side of the conversation working out, right, because if he gives you a raise, upper management is like, "Well, I see your calculations and it made sense that you had to give this guy a raise and, you know, we'll approve it cuz he brings value." But if you quit, they're like, "Are you an idiot? You let this guy go and he managed this and did that and all all he wanted was 7,000 more dollars and you wouldn't give it to him? What's wrong with you? Your ego's getting in the way of your judgment or whatever." And so it's safer for him just to just say like, "Uh, okay. All right, I'll I'll submit this to the appropriate people with my stamp of approval and, you know, please don't ask me for at least three and a half more months.
2: Yeah, I mean, the truth is for all these people that hiring is an incredibly expensive process. Time-wise, loss of work-wise, you know, also just monetarily if you're going to hire a recruiter. But, you know, for a lot of people who are working, you just want to ask for enough constantly to not insult the other person at the other end of the table. And then there's a couple tricks I can kind of walk through as well to make it easier for them to swallow things like asking for a raise. Yeah, we definitely want to get into that stuff
1: because I, I can just imagine there's people at home going, If it's equally uncomfortable, but I'm also uncomfortable, too uncomfortable to ever set foot in my boss's office and possibly ask for it, because everybody's thinking, if I ask for more money, I'm going to get fired, or they're going to say no and then laugh at me, or if I do get a raise, other people at my level aren't going to like me anymore, or, I mean, there's a million reasons probably that those are just the first few that come to mind
2: yeah i mean one of the best pieces of advice i ever got in my career very early on was this woman who was absolutely gorgeous i'll never forget how like shockingly gorgeous she was she was a lawyer in new york and i think we had lunch at one point and she told me that and she was a riser in her, in her company she was amazing and she said in any career you have in any job you have you have to make sure that you're getting every single dollar of value out of your company because you can be damn sure that your company is getting every dollar value out of you that's a really good point Yeah, your cheap equipment, for the most part, as an employee. Yeah, you have a responsibility to yourself, a fiduciary responsibility to continue to progress your career and the amount of money you're making continuously until the day you die. Wow, potent. I mean, basically, you're going to help people
1: become the guy that their friends call when they need to negotiate something. So if you're listening to this right now, go to Men's Warehouse or something, get a suit, so that when your friends call you to their job at Target, you can walk in there and be like, "I represent Mr. Dimaggio."
2: <laughs> everybody sit down he wants take every,
1: everybody take a seat. We want to go from 745 an hour to 8.45 an hour and we 're not leaving until it happens. yeah, um, hopefully not everybody listening <laughs> works at target, but we'll, you know not there's anything wrong with that so um it, essentially I think that we're always negotiating at work and even outside of it. I think that negotiation is a great skill. Even if you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I never have to negotiate my salary. You have to negotiate even more as an entrepreneur. You got to negotiate your contracts, your vendors. All of those things are negotiable. And it's kind of funny because all these hacky entrepreneur guys, they're always like, oh, I do this and I, I make this more efficient. And then you talk to them and you're like, how much are you paying for This outsourcing thing, and they're like, oh, it costs this much. And then I call that same company, and they're like, ah, it's this much. And I go, well, I'll give you this much. And they're like, all right. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, I just saved $3,000 a year and didn't, it cost me four minutes of asking. And then they had to like go ask the owner who went,
2: yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. It's amazing. I mean, it's profound once you kind of get into the life of negotiating more regularly how many things are negotiable. I mean, people say rent in San Francisco because the housing market is insane is non negotiable, but. You know, when I found my place, I went using the MLS service, which is something real estate agents have access to, to find a basically real estate management or owner of many properties in the city who actually their business is renting out properties, who actually had liens against several of the properties in their portfolio. And then I found one of the properties in their portfolio that didn't have a lien on it that had been on the the market for eight months. So I went in there knowing I had a ton of leverage and negotiated down what we basically paid for uh, my apartment, probably about 40%.
1: Wow. Holy cow. Because you knew that that person needed dough in a bad way and that he had occupancy, which means he was still bleeding.
2: Yeah, I walked in and I was 80 feet tall uh, emotionally when I'm making that deal. And, you know, one of the things that I through in the negotiation class I teach here in the city is the power of pre-work. Really knowing the person that you're talking to across the table and finding the right person to talk to immediately starts you at third base. Uh, it's, it's a difference of being, you know, you know
1: what I'm saying? Exactly. Right, right, <laughs> right.
2: You don't want to be on home plate, right, right, right? Before you take a swing, you want to be on third plate when you start.
1: That's, that's impressive. I can imagine you negotiating your rent and him being like, do you know that this is San Francisco and it's a seller's market? And you're like, do you know that you have four liens against four of your different properties out of your eight property portfolio? And the guy's like, all right, how much, how much are you going to pay?
2: Yeah. I'm like, you are eating interest payments every month. I know you are. And when I looked him in the eye and said that he was like, Oh shit. He's like, oh, one of those guys, <laughs> one of those
1: guys who knows how to use the Googles. So there are no equal outcomes is one of the things that you mentioned. Someone always gets the better deal.
2: Yeah, that that's definitely true. I mean, one of the things that helps, I think a lot of people fail in negotiations because their mindset is wrong walking in. And the mindset I have whenever I walk into a negotiation is that everybody's price is a fuck you price. That's the first price that I get.
1: What does that mean? What is a fuck you price?
2: So uh, let's say I'm going to go buy a mattress. The sticker price on a mattress has hundreds of percent markup. It's just a ridiculous price that only somebody who really doesn't care or really isn't engaged would pay. So to me, they're saying, screw you with that price. When in reality, I know their margin is huge and I have a lot of room to play with. Okay. so
1: Do you negotiate, like, everything that you, probably not coffee and stuff, but do you negotiate (laughs) generally, like, any big purchase? Any big purchase, yeah. What are some things that, and I know we're probably going to get into this, but I'm just curious, what are some big things that you've negotiated? Because a mattress is not something I would have thought, hey, you know what? But here's the thing. There are mattress salesmen, which means there's probably room, right? Otherwise, why do they have a guy there whose job it is to convince me to buy it? Yeah. And, And if you buy it online, you might save money off the sticker price from mattress warehouse but mm-hmm. you might actually still be paying a lot more than you would if you walked into mattress warehouse and you just totally screwed the guy over in negotiation yeah. and you were like i know that you're going to get fired if you don't sell 12 more of these this month or whatever
2: yeah right it's actually funny that if you if there are any hunters that listen to the show there's a famous famous hunt in argentina every year for doves white doves which sounds kind of horrible to that is white so doves. it sounds so wrong i've never done it full disclosure <laughs> but it's basically these doves swarm to the point where you can't see the sky And these hunters come with like shotguns and they basically just blast indiscriminately into the air and doves fall out of the air and they they basically get paid for. it. It's absolutely terrible. But it's the easiest hunting you could ever imagine. The funny thing is like mattress shopping for mattresses is like my equivalent of like hunting for doves, basically, because the entire mattress industry has been created to basically screw people. So every single mattress store will actually carry the same mattresses, but they will call them a completely separate brand and line and even change the serial numbers so you can't compare them. When in reality, they're the exact same mattress from place to place. Really? Yeah. How do you know that? I did my research, basically. Man, that's incredible. So if I go to like Bed
1: Bath & Beyond, I don't even know if they sell mattresses.
2: Mancini Sleep World or Mattress Warehouse. Right. Okay. So let's go.
1: Let's say I go to those places. They have like a Sealy and a Posturpedic, and then the other place has like a Posture Right and a Sleep Number, and they're basically the same damn thing, it's just that they're kind of like white-labeled, and then they have a different pattern on the outside, if that. Almost identical. And then, but they're different prices because one sort of sub brand
2: is is just marketed as a luxury brand and yeah. and even though it's the same thing it's the same exact thing they basically have an agreement with the manufacturer so that they only get this one line branded this one way so that people can't compare right but the truth is i actually helped my my girlfriend negotiate a mattress recently and we picked four stores on van s here in san francisco and we went to the first one and i negotiated the guy down on the one she wanted and i refused to buy there it was only my baseline So the next place I go to, my baseline is my starting point when I start negotiating. And I do that three times. So every place I go, I'm starting with a lower and lower baseline because I'm negotiating up and up and up and up.
1: So you can walk in and go, listen, I know that this same mattress is this price at this other place. You need to beat that by a lot. (laughs) And then after a painstaking journey down negotiation avenue, they finally do. And you go, thanks, dude. Bye. And then you walk into the next place and you go, I know that I can get this place at this price and you need to beat that. So $3,000 later, you know, you've know you got an $8,000 mattress or whatever mattresses cost. I have no idea.
2: Yeah, I mean, they can be very expensive. But the funny thing is I in my class, I kind of give people a list of things they can actually say, like tactics they can actually use to negotiate a mattress. And it's the same with cars and motorcycles and things like that. Things like asking someone when they want to negotiate. Just making that ask is the toughest part. Getting in an emotional place where you're ready to say something and not feel awkward. There's a lot of things you can say. So just of kind of a couple, one of the things I say is, what's your best out-the-door price? So that basically makes them think, okay, this person's serious. I want to go out the door. I have to include tax and everything else. And that's where they'll start throwing things in. Then I'll say, okay, well, will you do that but like 10% less? Or I'll just pick a number, whatever I think I can get. Uh, And then I always throw in there, if you can reach my price, I will buy today. And that's one of the most important things in any negotiation is you want the other side to visualize the win. You want them to taste it. If they can taste making that sale to you and walking out today with the cash in hand from your sale, they're much more likely to make it as opposed to if you're just negotiating abstractly. You want to say, I'm going to buy it today. I want to do this now. Will you give me this price? Then you got it. And, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a huge thing. And it works for job offers, too.
1: Yeah. Excellent. And how does it work for job offers? For example, we can say like if, what's your best in the door pricing or <laughs> your best in the door salary?
2: Yeah, job offers are an interesting one because you really have to be careful not to insult the other side. With a mattress store, you can kind of piss the guy off a little bit and it doesn't matter. But with a job, you've got to report to this person or work with them. So you have to, there's kind of an alchemy to asking the perfect amount and kind of wanting to get it over with quickly because you don't want to draw a job offer out. Mattress negotiating, you know, you've had a tough week. You want to negotiate a mattress for some fun. You can do it as long as you want. Sure. With jobs, it's got to be quick. So typically what happens is they'll make an initial offer to you, typically in the form of an email so they can have it in writing. They'll say, you know, we want to offer you this salary with this equity, with this start date, and that kind of thing. And typically my first response always is never a counteroffer. It's always, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I set the tone emotionally. And then I say, is there any flexibility in the base? That's it. Because then what I've done, and then I click send basically. I appreciate the time. I look forward to hearing back from you. When they get that email, they're already in a defensive. Because if they say no, then they run the risk of pissing you off and you running away, and they don't want to do that. Right. So they will right. almost always come back and say, we think this is a fair offer, but you know, what are you thinking? Or you know, let's, let's talk. And then I come back with my counter, because at that point they're already on the defensive.
1: Sure, okay. So you're doing this via email at first. Mm-hmm.
2: Or it can be through the phone. Uh, but it's always the response is, thank you so much, I really appreciate it. Is there any flexibility in the base, if that's the most important thing to you? And typically it is.
1: Once there's no more base, you can start with perks and stuff like that,
2: probably, yeah. too. If you want to. But in most job negotiations, it's good to focus on one thing as opposed yeah. to like a long number of things, unless you're coming in at a very high level, like CEO or whatever. Sure. Then they're making a very conscious and high effort choice to hire you. You can be a little bit more choosy.
1: Yeah, sure. I've read some stuff from like, will you ever read Quora?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of like it, yeah. super high. Love me too. There's like these
1: super high level guys. And it's, there's one thread on there that you may have seen. You may have not. And if you haven't, you'll, you should look for it. It's like, uh, how do I negotiate? And all these people have these these job negotiation, starting price, blah, blah, blah. And then one guy just came in there and he's like a verified guy. So he's a famous entrepreneur. His name slips my mind. And he's like, no, you need to be close to the crown. You need to negotiate that, which is like close to the co-founders and negotiate in like one lunch or dinner every quarter, one-on-one, and not in a group with like one of the co-founders. And, you know, this has to happen in like every 10 weeks, a review where you get to discuss your performance and how you can improve. It sounds counterintuitive because who wants a performance review? And they're like, but this is your chance to actually ask for more things or you know check in and make sure you're on good projects. And you yeah. need to be able to like select. So there's so much thought that goes into some of these higher end offers that nobody thinks about. Everybody else is like, tell them you want two hundred thousand, even though they offer you one forty, and then you'll meet in the middle. And it's like this guy was like, forget all of these people. Ten thousand dollars a year doesn't mean squat. If you're having lunch with the founder every quarter, you're never gone unless you're useless because he, he's going to tell you where the company's going and then you go, great, I want to get trained on all of those platforms and then suddenly you're on the cutting edge of everything that your company's doing forever. Yeah. But yeah. this guy hires people for millions of dollars or whatever yeah. for a living and he's like, my smartest people are the people that figure out ways to get around me and me to get around the, you know, my investors and stuff like that. Yeah all the time and they put it in their contract. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm like, that's amazing because it's real easy. Oh, sure. I'll have lunch with you every three months. But it's another thing to be like pointing to your contract and go, hey, when do you want to handle this little stipend that you signed off on? Th-? When do you want to not be in breach of my contract? Yeah. When yeah. when do you not want to be in breach of this contract? For a sandwich? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you know, after the first or second lunch, if you're not a douchebag, the owner's going to be like, oh, hey, great. Yeah, let's do this. But then he's going to talk about what's going on in his world, which is all of the really truly important stuff, not the customer acquisition or service oriented stuff that your immediate supervisor is whining about that yeah. day.
2: Oh yeah, it's, absolutely. It's
1: direction of the enterprise type stuff. Imagine if you got hired at Facebook and you were some sort of boss, right? And you negotiated dinner with Zuckerberg twice a year. You know, you're going to know what's up in the in the future of like the internet yeah. <laughs> period. And that's a good place to be. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be the last guy to know about time machines coming out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So if you can recognize these opportunities like you were talking about and empower yourself with knowledge, confidence, whatever, you, you've got so much
2: more leverage both at work and, and with mattresses. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's just a lot of it is just mindset. Like you're kind of saying, I mean, you know, you, you empower yourself, you feel empowered, and you actually give yourself the space to look around and say, what would I want? What would be valuable? And think creatively. Most people don't ever give themselves the chance to do that. So yeah, great advice. And now a quick message from our newest
3: sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show.
0: That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing
3: something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but
0: do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit Bombas.com charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase.
3: And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether it's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't
0: search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
3: Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I think always we're talking about mindsets here at AOC. That's like the major, major overarching concept is that mindset is everything. Everything you do follows what's in in your noggin from your body language to behaviors and everything, of course. How do we start to learn this skill? Because if you're in... If you're in sales or you're, you know, I'm, I was trained as an attorney, negotiation's part of that. A lot of, a lot of people, even lawyers, are terrible at it. But how do we start to develop that, that mindset? I mean, is it, developing any mindset is often, like you'd said, a series of rationalizations. Yeah. How do we start to... Generate this mindset. How do we prepare ourselves for the emotional gauntlet of awkwardness that is negotiation?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny. There's no there's no quick fat loss tip. Unfortunately, of being great at negotiation, there's no one weird tip. Yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no asai berry that's gonna like re- make everything work for you. I mean, in reality, you just got to do it. You got to do it, and you got to really you got to really want it, and you got to understand the value of it. And one of the things that was the most useful exercise for me, kind of developing my negotiation skills, is actually a class I took uh, in grad school. Uh, in executive negotiations. And one of them was get to know is what it was called. And basically over the course of a week, you find 20 different things that you don't think are negotiable and you negotiate them specifically because they're not negotiable. Like what? So I, one of the things I did was I would go to a restaurant and I talk to the waiter and I'd say, you know what? If you give me free dessert, I'll like up your tip. Right. And a waiter be like, yeah, OK, that's fine. Like I'll go to McDonald's and I'll be like, you know, like I'll order a cheeseburger. And she's like, OK, you know, that's five fifty. And I'm like, OK, but I only have like five bucks what if like you gave me like a cheeseburger for five bucks how do you feel about that and she's like okay I think we can do that that's fine and like people have so much more flexibility than you think
1: right she just rings it up as a regular burger and then gives you a cheeseburger exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah they don't
2: care I mean yeah. in reality it's not a big deal it's not her money anyway exactly I don't recommend you do that and kind of game the system and take advantage but There's a lot of kind of teaching moments of doing things like that and not being terrified for someone to be like, no, you're an asshole. You know, I think that's
1: a good exercise that I don't think you should go to your favorite breakfast place and ask (laughs) the waitress to give you free French fries every time you eat lunch there in exchange for a tip because that's called stealing. But I think (laughs) if you tried it once, if you went to a chocolatier and you were like, hey, can I try that? And they're like, oh, that's not a sample. And you're like, could you just give me one anyway? They might be like, "Uh, well, no, I can't. Or you know what, I can open this, and no. I kind of want one too, and I've never tried it. And then suddenly you're sharing a product. and yeah. Or what
2: if, you know, I am guarantee I'm, I'm going to buy something here today, but I just really want to try this first, like what yeah. do you think? And yeah. See what they say. See, it's like a little give and take. But yeah. another thing to, that is a huge thing to help you with negotiations is doing your pre-work. Okay. Because at the end of the day, you have to really know the other side and appreciate them enough to make sure they get what they want so that you can get a win. Because if you just go in there with a mindset of I'm going to take, 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 and get what I want, the likelihood you're going to reach a mutually agreeable state is almost nothing. So you have to appreciate where they're coming from. Like a hiring manager needs to fill this job, and they need to fill it soon with someone that's quality that they can sell to the team. A mattress person needs to hit their quota, needs to sell. Motorcycle salesman needs to hit his quota, needs that commission. You got to know what they want. Um, You know, I just bought a motorcycle, actually, a, a great, beautiful BMW motorcycle I've wanted for a long time. And I negotiated with 20 different BMW dealerships throughout California. Jeez. Uh, and I found the one BMW dealership that doesn't pay into the marketing co-op. So I knew that this guy didn't have the same margin problems oh, wow. that someone else had. So he could sell me the bike at a cheaper rate. Plus, there was one on his floor that had been there for two years and had never even been started. And he didn't want to lower the price. And I basically knew that he was paying interest payments on that bike every month he had it on the showroom floor. So I knew his margins were different. I knew he was eating a payment every month. And I knew if I visualized the win for him and let him know that I would walk out with it today if he gave me my price, I got exactly what I wanted, which was several thousand dollars below what anybody else would have given me for the bike. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And but how I,
1: did you, how'd you get that, that free
2: work? Uh, so actually, when if you take my course in San Francisco, uh, and I'm actually not jockeying for the course, there's a sheet that I have people fill out. Uh, that kind of walks through all the different areas of things that you should pre-work. There's a couple things that you kind of want to lay out ahead of time. And you don't have to write these things down, but I always know them ahead of time. One is, what am I negotiating? Obviously, right? I'm negotiating a motorcycle, a mattress, uh, a trip to Mars. And what is my timeline? Do I have to make a deal by a certain time? Do I run out of money and savings if I don't have a job over a certain period of time? Because that's a material right. thing for you to, to keep track of. Who are the parties involved? And this is the most important part. Understand who you're negotiating, if they're the decision maker, and if they're not, who they answer to.
1: Sure. Because you can negotiate all you want with somebody who doesn't have the power to actually pull the trigger on the deal, right? Exactly. Yeah. And,
2: and knowing who they have to sell it to inside of an organization is key. I used to do business development, and a lot of the people I would work with, other BD folks, were not the ones making final decisions on contracts. Sure. I did a distribution agreement with Amazon for a mobile app my company created. that actually ended up getting signed by Jeff Bezos himself because I negotiated so many times they had to get approval. But I knew that this guy I was negotiating with was not the one making the choice. So I had to get him to swallow something he thought he could sell inside the organization, which is a very different sell than what do I think I can get. Yeah. Yeah. So so funny. So parties involved. That's a big one. I actually framed that contract. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: I was 22 at the time. It was like the biggest highlight of my career. Yeah. Um, The next one is my interests. So knowing exactly what I need. So for the bike, I'm only going to pay X number of dollars. More than this, it doesn't make sense. Or I need to finance the payments down to this level or I can pay cash. Knowing exactly what my interests are. Very important. I'm um, reaching my goal, so I need to know exactly what my goal is. If I get this, this will make me happy. Right,
1: because there's probably some sort of rabbit hole temptation to just continually negotiate your yeah. way out of even a win for you because exactly. you're just addicted to like,
2: yeah, cutting the corners Exactly, or It's the rabbit hole, just like you said. You don't yeah. want to keep going down it. And you also have to know what your resistance point is. So this is what will make me happy, and this is a point at which I will no longer be happy or it doesn't make economic sense for me. And write that down. Know exactly what it is. Uh, Then you need to look at the options. So with a bike, there's all kinds of options you can throw on top, right? Other gear someone can sell me, maybe a helmet, maybe something else. Don't just think about what you're negotiating. Think about everything around the edges that you can color the deal with. Because the person won't give you what you want on your goal, your like baseline offer. There's a lot of things you can sweeten the deal with that make it make sense for you.
1: Yeah, sure. So if they can't go down on the bike because blah, 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 they pay the manufacturer Mm -hmm. something, 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 you could be like, cool, I see a really nice protective helmet. Mm -hmm. and some you know tune-up gear some tools yep a roadside assistance plan yep give me that stuff which is worth you know three grand instead of knocking two grand off the bike and they're like
2: yeah all right yeah and this is where you see the difference between a really good business development person and a a junior one or really good negotiator and one that isn't because they have a lock grasp on all the options they can play with and they know when to trigger them so most people have a laser focus on what they're negotiating don't do that this is where you can be creative and actually show who you are and how you can negotiate.
1: That's interesting. I wish I could tell, I wish I could tell you some of the examples in which I've done that at The Art of Charm with <laughs> vendors and or with some of our, some of our other partners, but I, I'm pretty sure they would be upset yeah. if I did that.
2: <laughs> but I mean, the example you gave earlier about, you know, I can't get the salary I want, but I can negotiate a monthly lunch with the founder or I can negotiate a shorter review cycle so I can possibly readdress my salary in six months instead of a year. Right, right. That kind of stuff is a way of still getting what you want and getting in the door, even if it looks like you're not going to win. Right. You did. Yeah,
1: because what do they care? They're thinking, so you're just going to have a manager check off your performance every six months instead of every year? I mean, that doesn't really cost us much of anything. It's just time, and you're one person. Yeah. Meanwhile, your plan is, I'm going to take a lower starting salary, but every single time I walk in that door which is now twice as often as everyone else,
2: mm-hmm. I'm going to ask for more money.
1: Yep. So after the first year, you're actually at a higher number than what it would have been if they had given you everything you wanted when you first oh, yeah. walked in.
2: I mean, That's exactly what I did with the job I was referencing before. I mean, I started off with a lower salary than I thought I was worth, but I knew I could negotiate it up if I delivered wins, and I did that successfully. But I doubled my salary before I left that company.
1: Right. So you can beat another candidate who might be hard on mm-hmm. more money, and then you just sneakily get back up yeah. the, the ladder to where to twice as whatever they offer you. Yeah, but
2: I mean, not even sneakily, very directly, Yeah. very, this is my value and I know it and I want this. Or, you know, there's other alternatives for me, which brings me to the next thing in the pre-worksheet. It is something called a BATNA, which is actually an acronym that a lot of people use in the negotiating world, which is Best Alternative to Negotiated Agreement. So if I don't get exactly what I want and it looks like I'm not going to win that, what are my options? Because if I walk in without knowing what my fallback options are, they already win, right? Right, They already have all the leverage.
1: I can just, I'm laughing because I can imagine all of the ways in which people do that and they're like how about no and it's like all right wasn't ready for that yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah that's the that's the worst thing in the world if you walk into a negotiation and don't already have a plan b then you've already lost right yeah because they
1: they if especially if they get a whiff that you don't have a plan b they're just going to be like no we're just going to pay you this it, it, it's like that caddyshack line where he's like oh, i want a cheeseburger and i want a hot dog and the guy's like
2: you'll eat nothing and like it and like, all right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly i mean and that's It's funny because a lot of people when they're negotiating jobs can't really do it, can't make the ask because they don't think they have an alternative, which is never the case. Sure. And on a lot of your podcasts, you know, you talk about things like confidence and, you know, knowledge of self, things like that. This is where that comes in. Yeah. This is where being a man and standing up and taking charge of your life really comes in because you know... That if this doesn't work out, there's something around the corner for you. And it's always, always true. Sure. Yeah. And women can do
1: this, too. So don't get I don't want any email about, you know, about that. Uh, women are actually better
2: negotiators. than men. I bet that opinion. they
1: are actually because they don't. Well, why is that? I can see that. I'm trying to put my finger on it. But what do you think?
2: So men, when they walk into a negotiation and I actually in my grad school, I actually did a huge, massive report on negotiating between the sexes. And men very commonly will like psych themselves up before a negotiation. They'll sit in a mirror. They'll say, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to win. I'm a lion. I'm going to get in there and oh, show them what I'm made of. I know where of. this is going. They bull in a china shop a situation and they try and win, win, win. When in reality, a woman will actually take a much more relationship based approach and say, how can I make sure both people get what they want mm-hmm. so that I can actually talk to this person again and work with them? Right. Yeah. Um, which, you know, the entire BD industry is actually built around the male mindset because in a lot of cases, as a business development person, if you actually land a deal, you're not the person managing that in the long term. You just land it and then you step away. Whereas in a startup, you don't always have that luxury. You have to have a relationship.
1: That's interesting. That, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's funny. I just thought of an example of something that I negotiated as an attorney that actually was pretty funny. At the end, we finally got the other party to say, listen, we can't go any lower. So <laughs> just like we literally we don't have the authority to go any lower. You yep. already got us down to where we were. And I didn't believe them. Yeah. So we ended up with the lowest payment possible for the settlement (laughs) plus a gift certificate to Bed Bath & Beyond. (laughs) (laughs) And when the judge heard that, they were like, what? That's amazing. Just out of curiosity, what's (laughs) up with that? And like, it was just like, we couldn't get them any lower. (laughs) And we we knew the only way to find out whether they were telling the truth on w- yeah. how low they could go is to be to ask for a larger amount yeah. in the form of a gift certificate yeah. to like yeah. a store. And the first store that came to mind yeah. was Bed
2: Bath & Beyond. What happened? I don't know if we're going to Sizzle later. Know. It's yeah. paid for.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. by the way, you have $8,000
2: <laughs> in iTunes credits, so get whatever you want. <laughs> but you know, that that's an incredibly important point and something that I, I talk about constantly, which is you need to, in a negotiation, be terrified of not getting a no mm-hmm. or get a certificate of bed, bath and beyond. If you don't get a no, then you didn't ask for enough. no. Right. That means that, yeah. yeah, that means you didn't push the envelope yeah. and then
1: work backwards
3: or whatever. I'm
2: always terrified in negotiation of someone saying yes fast. That is the worst thing as a negotiator you could ever have. Even though the pain is stopping and the awkwardness is over, I've almost definitely lost a ton of value because... They were like, yep, absolutely. Right. In their mind, they're thinking, like, oh, great deal for me. I'm gonna jump on this.
1: It's like you ever see that Seinfeld episode where Kramer spills coffee on himself <laughs> and they settle in their free Starbucks for life and, and he's like, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. And then and then they just cut off the, yeah. the offer right
2: there. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. And you know, that that's another great point of using silence strategically. Yeah. Don't be a Kramer. If someone yeah. makes you an offer. Make them sweat it out a little bit. Yeah. Make them feel like they didn't wow you because people fill that silence with all their own insecurities. Sure, That's a good point. Yeah. When you're quiet, they're thinking, "Ooh,
1: that must not have been. Yeah. They don't like that. That's too low. It's yeah. too high. It's too far. Yep. You know, he's wondering whether or not he should be sitting here right now. Yep. He's already contemplating other options. Mm-hmm. I better say something. What do I say? I cut him a better deal.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I've had people come back and give me better offers in business development type contracts as well as like cars and, and apartments, things like that, by just not responding immediately. Yeah. By people checking in and saying, hey, you know, what happened? You know, I, I didn't hear back from you. Was, how was the offer? Did you guys like it? I'm like, well, you know, I'm still thinking about it. It really wasn't what I was expecting. Immediately come back. They're already ready to, to lower the price because they've been thinking. about. Sure.
1: It. Yeah. Yeah. You're like you're fishing or something and you yeah. come back and there's another email in there like, hey, just so you know, managed to. Talk to the team and they said, no problem if we give you another ten grand per year. I guess we freed up some money somewhere. Yeah. Just give us a call whenever you get a chance. I haven't heard from you in a few days. Thanks. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So how do we pick the right amounts for our our offers, our counters and stuff like that? I mean, if I'm if my starting salary is a hundred grand a year how do I go? How do I what do I say when I want 120? Do I ask for 150? I mean, how does this work? I mean, that's the yeah. common knowledge is like, oh, choose a large number and meet in the middle. But yeah, that is that true. How does that play out in real life?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's where the art of this comes in. In a lot of cases, um, Art of Charm it's, a, it's appropriately titled. But, you know, essentially, you want to ask for just enough not to piss the other person off. And in a job offer type situation, they will never offer you the top of their budget. If they offer you 100K, they probably have about 120 or so in the budget. But they're not going to pay you that amount. They've already shown you roughly where they think you're worth. So I wouldn't counter with an obscene amount higher. I typically would go about 15%. So do we want them to
1: make the first offer? or Do we want to make the first offer? Because there's arguments for both sides, right? We frame it if we make the first offer, but then if we're way off or something, that's not
2: good. Never, ever, 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 ever make the first offer ever. And if someone in a job offer situation asks you for your salary expectation, never give it. Say, I'm looking at a bunch of opportunities right now. I can't really give you a number. I'm interested to see what offer you guys have. But thank you very much. (laughs) Never, ever make an offer and never give them an expectation. Because if you do that, you're setting their baseline and they're working down from that. Yeah. You want them to set the expectation. And I'll tell you, I mean, setting that, making a first offer will screw you so many times so badly. Never, ever do it.
1: What if we set the baseline really high, though, with our first offer?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a gamble, right? You can mm-hmm. certainly try and do that, but you risk the ru- you risk basically pricing yourself out of their ballpark sure. because you don't know where they are. Right. It's much, much safer to have them give you their baseline and you understand that and then negotiate from there. That's true because if you come up too high, they go, Psh, we're not even going to be able to come closer. Oh, yeah.
1: Thanks for coming in.
2: Oh, yeah. I've offered jobs to people many, many times and jobs that I've had before. And I'll tell you, I mean, people that come back with offers much higher or requests much higher than where I think they are, I walk away immediately. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah. it's
1: just going to be too much work to get them. Yeah. To, to and then they're going to be resentful of it exactly. and leave at the first opportunity they get.
2: Yeah, and not only that, they're overvaluing themselves in my eyes, right? Which makes me feel like they're smug, or I'm going to have to continually fight to keep this person. I want someone who really wants it and is hungry. Yeah, and we're going to come to a comfortable place.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. What well, what if they set the bar too low? I mean, what if you want a hundred grand and they're like, we're gonna we're prepared to offer you forty thousand dollars? You're like, crap, that's the baseline. Yeah. I mean, what do we do when that happens? That, that
2: means yeah. it might just does not be a good fit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes you have to be prepared to walk away. And if they're that off, then my recommendation is you probably do. You can take one last stab and say, you know what, based on other opportunities I'm looking at, meaning I'm displaying social proof there, saying other people want me, right? Based on other things I'm looking at, I think I'm worth this amount of money. This is my minimum, right? And Mm -hmm. if they can't meet that, then... Yeah, then it's just not a good
1: fit, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you have to be ready for that. Don't be
1: scared to walk away. Yeah, at the end of the day, some of these job offers are not going to be a good fit for you. And if you've done your research, you know what's fair and what's not in the market. So you know that if you used to get paid $300,000 a year as a corporate finance attorney, but now you're at a small mid-market firm because the market's crap, you can't ask for the same salary and you're going to have to take a pay cut. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean... What I'll typically do is, you know, in a job offer, the offer will come in. I'll respond, as I said before, saying, you know, is there any flexibility in this offer? They come back saying, yeah, we think it's pretty fair, but, you know, what are you thinking? And I come back and I say, based on other opportunities I'm looking at, I think I'm worth this. And I will typically add 15% on top of their offer. And I will say, and this is the most important part of that response, whether in person, on the phone, or an email, if you can match that or hit that, and I say match because that makes them feel like other people are already offering that. Yeah, so it's, if you can match this, I'll give my notice tomorrow and we're done. I've told them, I've displayed social proof, right, by saying, based on other opportunities I'm looking at, I think I'm worth this. I have made them feel like there's social pressure of other people looking at me, and I've helped them visualize the win. And nine times out of ten, and I've done this many times with friends, including my girlfriend's job offer, they will always take that offer. They will take it and they won't go back and forth with you at all because they want it to be done. And they want to do that win.
1: Interesting. That's really cool.
2: So what other tools do we sort of have
1: available and when do we bust those out of the old toolbox? And we're making it sound real easy like we walk in, "Hey Bill, how you doing?" So I was thinking, $150,000. Yeah. Well, that seems like a little bit high. Our yeah. offer is 120. Well, I'm prepared to walk away and I have an alternative plan. I mean, what happens when they're like, you know, what what happens in a real yeah. negotiation and how do we get the best of it? Cuz I have a feeling a lot of people listening have never negotiated much of anything, especially their salary. Yeah. And even if they have, that boss that they're talking to is probably done it 10 times more, even if they're both inexperienced, you know, we need to give them something. Yeah. We need to give them that backup plan. They need to have that like rip cord or whatever that they can pull. Yeah. You
2: know, that, that ace in their, their sleeve. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's a good metaphor to use actually cause you need your emergency shoot, right? Which is other opportunities. So what I would, I would counsel people to do is even if you were going down the road with a job offer and things are looking really good, still be applying to other jobs. Because if it doesn't work out and you need to walk away from the table, you have to go in there thinking, you know what, there's a world past this offer. The world doesn't end if this doesn't happen, right? So even if I'm at the point where I've had six interviews, I've met the entire team and I love them, I'm still applying for other jobs. It doesn't stop until I start my first day. And even then, when I have the job, I'm always open to other opportunities. And that doesn't make you disloyal. That makes you maximizing your own personal value.
1: Right. Because what that does is it sets up a mindset shift inside you that says, I have an abundance of opportunities. Yeah. Because if you stop doing that and then your employer says, oh, bad news, everybody, there's no more dental insurance and you can't park here anymore <laughs> and we're not doing the stipend for this and right. there's a hiring freeze and a pay freeze and, and there's no a rattlesnake loose
2: in the kitchen. Right, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you don't get to have a chair anymore in your yeah. office. If You you might just go, oh man, but yeah. other people are like, you know what, that was kind of the final straw. Yeah. I've got an opportunity at Google and I'm just itching to get out of here. Yeah, so absolutely.
2: I'm I mean, and I'll tell you, like, as somebody who hires a lot of people out here, that's not something a boss wants to have an employee do, right? That's not in the sure. boss or the company's best interest. But at the end of the day, the loyalty of a company is to their shareholders and to maximizing their company's value, not yeah. your individual personal freedom or happiness. So I think there is kind of a a mismatch of loyalty when it comes to companies. You should be loyal to people, but unless you're a founder, you are completely replaceable. And even if you are a founder, you're completely replaceable. Yeah. Somebody can just buy you out and then do what you won't do. Yeah. You need to be a bit of a mercenary. And, you know, my my grandfather was an actual mercenary, so cool. maybe it's in my blood. Was he like a French foreign legion
1: guy or something? Greek,
2: actually, which is even even hairier. It, well, literally, yeah, quite literally. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially if you're
1: a Greek female.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no comment. No
1: yeah, comment. I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail for that. But I don't yeah. I don't really care. My mom's going to show up at your door. <laughs> <after> that. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, obviously, that's a story for another time. That's interesting.
0: Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny, what about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify.
3: That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
0: Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial
3: period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in.
2: Shopify.com slash charm. That whole thing of just always making sure you have somewhere to go, always having that emergency shoot is a really good idea. And, you know, another thing I would say is just generally not only be afraid not to get a no, but don't be afraid to say no, because if people are always offering you things and you're always taking them because you're afraid of insulting them, you're already a victim. You're not winning. You're a victim.
1: Right. Because you're letting that sort of external social pressure that is really a manufacturer of your own head. Yeah get to you psych you out
2: yeah and when they come to you and they're like you know what, you don't get a chair anymore and we replace like the ping pong table with an erotic swing set (laughs) uh it's just you have to be able to say no you're like nope i've had enough right you just you can't go along with it all the time and that's true in negotiations when someone makes an offer to you that you don't like if you're the one selling you have to be able to say no that's a good point and and it changes your mindset
1: which of course makes you behave differently yep if they sense no urgency on your part and there's urgency on their part you win right
2: yeah absolutely
1: so how do we know whether we're able to do this via email, phone, or in person? Are there different situations in which it makes more sense to do something live? Mm-hmm. I mean, with a job, a hiring thing, that I assume is largely, well, I don't know. The
2: interview's done live. Is the salary negotiation done live? I don't even know how this works. In most situations, the, the offer comes in the form of email because people want to put it in writing. Sometimes they'll give it in person or uh, verbally over the phone. That's also very common. Um, but your reaction is always the same. It's, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I need time to think about it and consider it among other opportunities that I'm looking at. Even if you don't have offers, you're always looking at opportunities. Opportunities I'm looking at, is there any flexibility in the base, right? It's always the same response no matter what. But if you do it via phone or in person, you are making a much more emotional connection with someone. It's more terrifying for you if you haven't done this a lot. It's also more terrifying for the other person. So I would say if you can do it in person or over the phone because you have more emotional leverage, if you can deal with it. Uh, if not, email can be a very good tool to do this with.
1: That's an interesting point about emotional leverage. So if you're strong and you feel like you've got a good handle on on that situation, if you've been listening to Art of Charm, you've been putting those things, you feel confident in situations like that, yeah. use that to your advantage by being in the room and having that weird social pressure yeah. crushing down on the interaction and you're just <laughs> kind of like zen with it. Yeah. And the other guy's going, I just want to go home. I've got to pee. This is yeah. awful. Worst thing <laughs> ever.
2: It's not even my money. Why am I being difficult here? Exactly. Right? It's, you know, what happens to me if I don't hire this person, right? If I lose this, everyone's already given their okay. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't make the offer. So then I have to explain to people, you know what? It didn't work out. But if you go in there and you, you display, you have to set the tone and say, I am really excited about this. This is the company I want. This is the opportunity I've been looking for. But I need this to make it happen. Then I've like told them that I'm super into it. I've made them visualize me working at the company and really being a, a really contributing happy member of the team. I'm helping them visualize the win again by saying if you can do this, I'm with you today. I'm ready to sign and I I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited. And you make it emotional, right? Because it is emotional.
1: Yeah, car companies do that. They're mm-hmm. like you see those commercials it's like 395 out the door and you're like I have $400 for an SUV. Yeah. And it's like, "Hey, dumbass, it's going <laughs> to cost you 10 times yeah. that every month, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know, yeah. to pay for this thing over yeah. the long haul. It's going to take forever. And with the interest and stuff." So, that's that's really interesting and because then they're looking at it like oh this whole thing could just be over it's like a it's like an interrogation with a cop hey you know you want to you want or like navy seal training you Mm -hmm. want a hot meal you want some coffee you want (laughs) a bed you can go to sleep you know just ring the bell
2: just quit yep all you have to do is love bullets right in your direction right but uh but yeah i mean never underestimate how much the other side of the table wants it to end yeah excellent oh very
1: cool and how do we know when we use the strategic silence or when we use the walk away? Like, that's a, a great technique, but I want to make sure that we use it at the right time. Obviously, if you use it at the wrong time, it's just weird. Yeah,
2: I mean, the, the walk away thing is kind of your nuclear option, right? I'm right. walking away and that can work. So with my motorcycle, when I negotiated it, the guy wouldn't give me the price I wanted on the bike. So I made an offer on another bike, which was the price I wanted for that bike in the shop, but I knew he needed to sell the one I really wanted. Right. So 15 minutes after I put the offer, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to hit your price because it isn't reasonable to me. I'll buy this instead. He called me back 15 minutes later and is like, all right, fine. I'll give you the price you want for the bike.
1: Interesting. So I walked wow. away,
2: but I was only able to walk away because I had my BATNA, right? My best alternative to negotiated agreement ready to go. And I'm like, you know what? If I don't get this, I'm going to buy this. I didn't get it. So I bought the other one. Was the other bike that was in his shop? It was just one mm-hmm. he didn't need to move right away? Yeah, it was one that he would give me a better price on because the one I wanted was kind of special and had special sure. things. Yeah, very cool. And he's like, yeah.
1: damn it, I just want this thing out of here.
2: Yeah. yeah. And imagine, I mean, car, car negotiators, like people who sell cars and bikes, everyone, they have a list of things that they will say to you and have said to a thousand other people in your position to make you feel like you shouldn't have the deal you're asking for. Mm-hmm. They'll say, you know, then I'd be paying you to walk out of here with this bike literally 10 different people said that exact line to me. Then I'd be paying you to walk out here. Or then I'm not making any money, then I'm not making any margin, I can't do it. Bullshit. Yeah. Always bullshit. And they will say the same thing over and over and over again. They'll show you the sheet and they'll say this is what I paid for the bike. I got to make at least 100 bucks profit. It's a lie because with cars and bikes, the actual manufacturer will pay them an incentive every time they sell a bike. Sure. So yeah. even though their like MSRP was 12 grand or whatever it was, they're actually getting paid a check by BMW when they sell that bike. Well, yeah, they'll never tell you. They'll never tell you.
1: That. Of course they want.
2: Now, yeah. MSRP is
1: suggested, manufacturer's suggested yeah. retail price. It's not the cost the dealer pays for the product. Yeah. That, would be, that would be a different acronym that yeah. I can't think about right now.
2: And if you yeah. ever think, I mean, you walk out of a negotiation thinking, wow, that sales guy was a really good guy. He fucked you. Yeah. You should never walk out feeling the sales guy is such a great guy and helped you out because then he screwed you over and you didn't even know it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With cars, I kind of got lucky. My dad worked for Ford for 30 years. So I have these pin codes where I can get a car that's cheaper than the guy working at the dealership could get that same car for. And the price (laughs) is set. There's no ability to negotiate anything because it's from the manufacturer. And they have to go through this weird questionnaire to make sure I am who I say I am because they're they're losing money on the car. And then Ford reimburses the dealer for it. So that's a great deal, but yeah. if I ever want to get anything else, but it's a good, it's funny because I look at even a cheap car and I'm like, I just saved eight grand on a car that's not that expensive. Yeah, That means that Ford, I mean, Ford's not going to take a loss. They're at least making a little bit of profit or, or at worst breaking even yeah. on that car. Yep. And there's a limited amount that they'll sell at that price every year. I think each retiree gets like two pins or something, mm-hmm. right? So even if they're just breaking even on that car, that's a lot of money. And that's, a, I mean, you would never think I'm going to negotiate this until it's, you know, 80% of the cost the guy suggested. It's, it's a vehicle. Usually you knock off 300 bucks and he gives you a windshield wiper upgrades or something <laughs> like that and a CD to put in your stereo, Yeah. you know, and a Bluetooth upgrade. And then yep. it's like, oh, thanks, man. Meanwhile, there's $6,800 more room to negotiate that, yep. that you didn't get.
2: And they'll never sell it to you if they're not
1: going to make money. Yeah. It won't happen. So no never chance. feel bad about asking. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that's right. They won't close the deal. Yeah to lose money. That's not, their, they would be out of business already. Yep. And
2: they'll tell you a million times they're going to lose money. They're not going to make money on it. Blah, blah, blah. It's never true. Unless you are really asking for something crazy unreasonable. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, what about after we close the deal? Because here's the thing, especially when it comes to jobs, what about people who go, well, man, I have to work with this guy afterwards. I don't want him to think I'm greedy, cheap, aggressive. How do we sort of, is there... At the end of the negotiation, we don't want one party to feel sore about it, and we definitely want to sort of build, I would assume, we want to build some trust after that, not like we're going to be a uh, pain in their ass every single day for the rest of the time, because then they won't want to hire us, and they won't want to work with us. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some sort of fine line where you're civil the whole time, and you're cool about it, and then afterwards, you're like, hey, I'm glad to be here. Let's sort of sweep the whole awkwardness of that. You don't want that awkwardness to carry over to
2: your job, Correct, right? Correct, yeah. That, that's a great point. And I mean, with the job interview and negotiation, you want to mitigate the back and forth as much as possible. And that's why when your first counter, you make them visualize the win so that they can hopefully walk away at that point. If they come back and give you another counter, you either really choose to take it at that point or kind of begin to walk away if they're not coming to a place that's good for you. Because more than kind of two back and forth, and I typically limit two counters for job offers, you're beginning to damage the relationship. Uh, but I will say, though, you should walk into it with this feeling that if someone I offered a job to didn't negotiate with me, I wouldn't respect them. So you really? need to negotiate. Yeah, you do because that's an empowered person. That's somebody that I want on my team. If they take exactly what I give them, they're a sheep to me. I want someone to negotiate with me. I don't want them to hamstring me or ask for something insane, but I want them to negotiate. I want them to ask. And I'll respect them if they do. Especially being in biz dev. If you hire somebody and you're like, that guy is. He
1: just accepted the first thing I gave him. What yeah. an idiot!
2: How could you do that? Yeah,
1: he's yeah. Not, then he's gonna go what to other companies and do biz dev for you and yeah. do the exact same thing. No yeah. thanks.
2: It's like hiring, you know, like a, a house cleaner that like their house is like filthy a as total hell, right? Mess. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because if this is their, if this is how they handle their own money and their own business, what are they gonna do when they're tired? It's five o'clock on a Friday and they're in a hotel room in Boise negotiating for you. They're gonna yeah. be like. I'm really hungry. Yeah, sure, that that looks good. Uh, I'll sign that and then have it delivered on Monday, and I'm going to yeah. go to sleep now and take a nap and go out to the bar. Yep.
2: I want a wolf working yeah. for me, but I don't want that person to disrespect me. And if they're countering too many times, then I begin to feel disrespected, right? Sure. That's true with everybody. Is there anything we can do aside, in addition to that sort of like negotiate the cheeseburger,
1: is there anything we can do to start honing our, our negotiation skills? Because I think that's sort of the final piece of the puzzle. This is a complicated thing, but there's got to be some ways to sort of... Hone ourselves because I think there's still guys going. I'm still nervous to walk into my boss's office and do this. How do we how do we
2: baby step them up there? There's different ways of phrasing things that kind of get you to a point where it's more comfortable to make an ask. Right? You don't always have to lead off with an ask in a negotiation. You can lead off by feeling the other side out, saying, "You know what? I'm really happy. The team is stellar. You know i i you know I've been passively looking at other opportunities. People have reached out, and it seems as though you know there's some more opportunity outside the company. You know, monetarily for me, I was just wondering you know, what do you think is going to be in the budget? You know, do you think there's an opportunity for me to progress here in my career? Um, there's other ways to couch it in saying things like, you know, I really love this place. I really want to feel like I'm moving forward in my career. What can you offer me just to make it feel like I'm moving forward? You know, and I'm getting as much out of this as I'm putting in. So you don't always have to lead with a hard ask. You can kind of feel them out uh, and be sensitive and emotionally intelligent about it and be sweet almost. Great. So what you guys do if they're
1: in their dream job right now and they just got hired or they don't need to negotiate anything right now at work. How should they start practicing these skills? I mean, do we just have them go to McDonald's, negotiate cheeseburgers? And <laughs> what, what else can these guys do to, to kick things off?
2: Yeah, I mean, the best advice is do it. I mean, get in a situation where you can negotiate more. Um, you know, I've, I've negotiated things sometimes when I actually didn't even intend to buy. I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of see what I could do, uh, which I don't think is, is something everybody should do. Yeah, but, that would be
1: super annoying. Know, it would be super annoying, yeah.
2: But I mean, I I was looking at a car for a long time out here and I wasn't really seriously looking to buy, but I would go around to different dealerships on the weekends for an hour or so and, you know, ask them questions, you know, and get comfortable making asks, saying things like, you know, well, what would be the best out the door price or what can you do on financing? If I was going to buy today, what would you do for me? Uh, If I could pay cash or I could, you know, up the amount of down payment I would do. Just start to play around with factors and feel people out. Um, But there's a lot of books you can read on the topic to get you in there. There's a lot of online forums where people kind of walk through negotiations they've had um there's a lot of things you can do but the the best advice i can give you is just negotiate and don't be uncomfortable making asks
1: perfect thanks so much man and so guys can take your class here in san francisco it's in general assembly what's it called
2: uh so i just did one called uh, negotiating 101 uh which is kind of a walk through a lot of the topics we looked through today so a lot of people listening kind of got a lot of the course content awesome uh, I'll be doing more classes in the future.
1: Great. Um, maybe I'll come in there and check it out. I think that would be
2: really fun. Yeah. You could try and negotiate a discount with me. I can. Well, are you the one that <laughs> sells it? Or do I have to register through their website? Oh, he's, he was listening. That's really good. Yeah. I'm not the one who makes the ultimate choice, so very well, good. Well,
1: or, I mean, I didn't know that, though, because here's the thing. If they make the ultimate choice, it's probably going to be easier because I'll just go and say, hey, listen, I've got this really popular show. I'd love to come in and take a class. I'm looking at something that looks kind of interesting, maybe one of these negotiation ones. Um, can I come in and just sort of audit that and then maybe I'll be able to talk about some of GA's other classes and you know it's free PR for you guys and they'll probably say yes because I get a lot yeah. of stuff doing that. I,
2: I gotta get out of here before he starts negotiating <laughs> with me because that's yeah. a really good way to do it. Because <laughs> then you'll,
1: you'll still get credit for that probably yeah. or there's probably some sneaky fine print where like one person can audit your
2: stuff and you can't do anything about it. Everybody thinks that we live in a world of rules we don't we yeah. live in a world of people who make decisions about yeah. where things should go and how much they should cost and in a lot of cases, whatever you want is up for negotiation almost all the time.
1: Good parting words. Thanks so much, man. Alex Kutz. And guys can check out your startup. We're going to link it up in the show notes at indigovern.com I-N-D-I-G-O-V-E-R-N.com. Making government sexy, if that's all possible. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks. Excellent show. Really, really enjoyed this one. I think there's a lot of useful tools in here. There's always so much knowledge when it comes to and so much back and forth when it comes to negotiation. There's always so many right and wrongs and different articles. But take it from this guy who's really crushed it in real life in practical ways. We're going to have that worksheet available for you. It's linked up in the show notes. All those tools, all those strategic silences, all those walkaways and all that prep and all those relationship building after you shake hands, you can't go wrong. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know even I learned something, so I'm pretty stoked. I'm going to go out and negotiate a cheeseburger now. Take care, guys. Special thanks to you guys for listening, show feedback, and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordanh at theartofcharm.com. And of course, boot camp details there as well. Go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch, and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening but you're not subscribed to iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there, because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well, because it helps other people find us, and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.
0: Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks and everything for the extraordinary man at the Podcast.com.